The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. We have before us today, for the second Sunday of Lent, the, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. And we actually, throughout the course of the year, we get at least a couple of times to reflect on this passage. And I, um, my experience of it every time that, it, it, that I am confronted with it is a, it, my experience is something like that of St. Peter's. I, I'm a bit bewildered by it. I'm a bit perplexed by it. Uh, because when we try and understand it, it's, it's tempting, it, it's easy enough to try and come and, and see it and, well, what, what is the point? What is the point of Jesus doing this? And we can receive it as, well, Jesus is here proving his divinity and he's trying to strengthen the apostles before the crucifixion. And if we sit with that as the, uh, as the solution to the problem, we can feel as if the problem is solved, but at the same time we come away from the gospel passage feeling uh, like we're still missing something. And part of it is because if we take that approach to the gospel, we, we're starting to put Jesus into the box of, well, he just came to teach us some truths and uh, have a bit of teaching here, a bit of teaching there. And if we get the right, if we get the right, th- if we believe the right things, then that's everything that, uh, that Jesus is, came to do. And that, that starts to put each, in a, each gospel passage as if they're all supposed to simply be a moral lesson. But Jesus is far beyond that. Jesus is doing something more here. He's the Jesus that we come to know through the Gospels, the, the Jesus that God sent to proclaim his kingdom, is doing far more than simply giving bits of teaching. He is pioneering the way of renewed humanity for all of us. He's showing us what true humanity is. And I say that, I say renewed humanity. You've heard the phrase before, you genu- living the life of a genuine human being. And we can think, well, what does that even mean? What does that mean? It means calling humanity back to the plan that had always been from the garden. In the Garden of Eden, when God created man, created men and women in his own image, he charged them to reflect God's image into the rest of the world. In other words, when God created man, man and woman are supposed to be the place where heaven and earth meet, 
They're supposed to be the intersection of heaven and earth where the glory of God is visible in all of creation. It's supposed to be in humanity that the glory of God is revealed. And yet it's through human rebellion, through turning away from God and trying to seize power that we lost that glory. Instead, what we see here is something of Jesus, Jesus is conversing with Moses and Elijah, and we see as, he, as, his, as his whole body is transformed, we see something of the glory that had always been possible for humanity, that was always envisioned for God's image-bearing creatures. But we see in Christ Jesus, the only true human to ever live, the one who is actually faithful to God's purposes. He, he's lived the way up through this point in Matthew's gospel, he has lived the way that God had always intended humanity to live, a life of uh, concern for the other, a life of self-gift. And so we see not necessarily Jesus proving that he's divine here, as counterintuitive as that is, and I, and I imagine that's something, uh, something a bit shocking to hear this morning. But this is exactly it. This is Jesus revealing what true humanity is supposed to look like. The glory of God is supposed to shine through each and every one of us. And especially by virtue of our baptism, we've received God's own spirit. We are called back through our baptism to share in this glory that we have as God's image-bearing creatures. We are called back again to be the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where the living God takes up his dwelling and his glory is able to shine forth. But this, this passage in and of itself, it, even if we get that much from it, we're still not getting the whole picture if we don't hold it because this is, this is the way that St. Matthew writes his gospel. He's already, he already has in mind, as he has throughout the pages of the gospel, he has the cross in mind. There is something and we, ha we have it at the end of the pa passage. As they are coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The shadow of the cross is already looming over this. And this is, and so St. Matthew wants us to hold these together. We see something of the glory of man revealed in this and God's glory shining through here, but then hold it side by side with the cross, with Jesus pouring himself out giving himself totally with no self-concern, giving himself totally in love to bring restoration to humanity so that humanity can live to the vocation that they had always intended to live for. When the cross is held side by side with the transfiguration, we can see that the glory of man and the glory of God is nothing other than love. And of course, you've heard it before, and I, I can say it until I'm blue in the face, but that is absolutely the foundation of what we're doing, what we're doing as Christian disciples and what we're doing through the season of Lent. It's love. It's nothing other than self-gift. It is nothing other than love because we see the glory of man in the transfiguration is revealing God to all who look upon him. But the glory of God revealed in the cross is that he is nothing other than a life of self-giving love, 
total self-emptying, total self-abasement, Jesus gave up everything in obedience to his Father's will. He gave up everything to implement God's purposes to bring restoration and healing to all of humanity, God's image-bearing creatures. And it is through that love that God's glory, even perplexing as it is, it is that life, the life of self-giving love, that God's glory reaches its, uh, its full exposition. Without the cross, or in other words, the cross helps us to understand something of the transfiguration. And the other way around, the transfiguration helps us to understand something of what's going on in the cross. And we, as we hear in the passage, we hear the same thing that Jesus heard at the, at the baptism, at the very beginning of the gospel. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We come here today as those who are, called, who are called to Christ Jesus, who have been called by Christ Jesus and are called to him, to follow after him. We know, living on the other side of Easter, that Jesus, in obedience to the Father's will, is able to reveal his glory through his self-giving love on the cross. And he, by dying, he cuts a path straight through death itself and comes to new life. And many of us have probably heard, especially in any number of um, pious uh, bits of literature, we will hear of the, the phrase, something to the effect of, the royal road of the cross. And I think that's an important point to grasp. It's the royal road of the cross. In other words, it is through the cross, it is not, it's not accidental to what we are doing here in Lent that the cross is the focus. It's not because we simply enjoy suffering. That's, that's weird. It's because there's something in this dying to self, in giving up our own pursuits, that is only perfectly, that is only perfectly done through the suffering of the cross, that we're able to come to the other side. We're able to follow Jesus through death and out the other side. And so we take the time through Lent, especially through our penances of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, to look to the cross and realize that each and every day the cross is, uh, is coming to us. There are things that we do not want, that, that are, cause us to die to ourselves. And of course, throughout the year, it's easy enough to say, I, I want to do absolutely everything to avoid that because it's hard. I don't want to die to myself. I want to do what I want to do. But God is inviting us through the season of Lent to offer ourselves over to him and allow him to strengthen us. Yeah, I understand the crying. I, I do understand that because I don't want to die to myself through the cross. But it's, it's through the cross that we learn to die to ourselves that we're able to be transformed into the glory of God that we have always been meant to be. Each and every one of us is created for glory. Each and every one of us are supposed to let the light of God. This is what we talk about when we're, being, when we're talking about being the light of the world. We see it on display here in the gospel. 
This is what the light of the world means, actually being light, letting the glory of God shine forth through our lives. But the only way that we do it is by dying to ourselves and giving ourselves over in love for God's purposes. And this is, how do we do that? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or, or else loving, trusting, and obeying God. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, growing in love. The name of the game has always been love. It's always been charity. So if we're engaging in our Lenten penances as a way of uh, trying to white-knuckle our way through Christianity and trying to show how strong we are, you might be frustrated with your Lenten observance because you've probably noticed your own weakness. I know I have. I know that I've noticed how weak I am. I've noticed that I, des- I desperately need God's help. And I'm looking to him, I'm looking toward the, toward the cross and saying, I can't do that. I cannot do that. But he's going to help me through. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to fill me with his love, with his life. He, in fact, does. Every time we come to this altar, he fills us with the food of charity. So that step by step, bit by bit, entrusting our hearts and our lives to Christ Jesus, to God and to his purposes, the God revealed in Christ Jesus, I can be transformed not through my own efforts, not through my own, uh, by going on my own steam, but by being filled with his grace, being filled with his love, I can have my heart transformed to be like unto his so that maybe, just maybe, I will be more faithful and God's glory can shine through me.